an inquiry into the nature of god's act of justification by thomas halliburton this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org it is generally agreed amongst orthodox divines that the word justification as it relates to the acquitment of a sinner is to be understood in a forensic or law sense and that by it we are to understand a judicial act whereby god as judge upon the righteousness of christ does acquit the sinner and accept him into favour now whereas it is certain that the sinner is really assisted at god's tribunal and there accused by the law conscience and satan it is no less clear that upon his believing he is acquitted sentence passes in his favour and he is justified by god it may hereon modestly be inquired how god gives out sentence in the sinner's favour these things are not visibly transacted nor is the sentence audibly pronounced by any particular form of words in the hearing of the sinner arraigned much less in the hearing of bystanders the question then is what is the act of god or how does he express that act absolvatory this question is rarely and but sparingly touched at by our divines so far at least as i know and therefore we conceive much modesty and sobriety is requisite in the determination yet some having delivered their opinion on this head i hope it will be no presumption to inquire a little into it providing always that there shall be no attempt to be wise above what is written which we shall endeavour to guard against i find there are different apprehensions of this matter among divines first some there are who distinguish betwixt sentential and constitutive justification the sinner say they immediately upon his believing is constitutively justified romans five nineteen by the gospel law again he is sententially justified when the judge at the day of judgment passeth sentence upon him acquitting him according to the said law thus mr drummond expressly delivers himself denying flatly any act of god as judge acquitting any particular person in time he admits of no act of god but that which is rectoral or legislative in the constitution of the new law of grace this opinion however dogmatically delivered as clear and unquestionable i must confess does not satisfy me for several reasons one the scripture representation of the state of the sinner at the time when he is justified seems unavoidably to require the interposition of some act of god applicative of the law rule or promise call it which you please of this i dispute not how to the sinner now personally attacked convened before the judge accused and convicted how such a one can be free without the judge's interposal on this behalf i know not nor seems it very easily intelligible the sinner's own pleading of the constitution or law will not end the dispute betwixt him and his accusers if the judge is silent as it never does in the like cases among men two justification is expressly said to be the act of god romans eight thirty three in like manner we read of god's forgiving of sin now or at a definite time and not before which cannot easily be reconciled to this opinion and i doubt if the scripture designing to set forth such an act of god could use terms more significant to this purpose than those it has made use of three this opinion seems entirely to deny sentential justification for as to that justification which is commonly so called at the last day it is a thing altogether different from that which the scripture speaks of under the name of justification before god the judge the states of the persons the ground and design of the procedure are altogether different for the reformed churches in their confessions seem harmoniously agreed in this 
that justification is an act of God, applicative of the gospel to the sinner's actual relief upon his believing and at the time of it. This, it is like, would not have much weight with the author were he alive, who makes no difficulty not only to dissent from the reformed church but also is bold to charge them with talking not very intelligibly if consistently with themselves but however this will have its weight with sober spirits second others there are who besides that justification by constituting the gospel promise or law whereby it is provided that the believer shall be justified are willing to admit of another act of god at the time of believing viz an imminent act that is god acquits the believer in his own mind so mr ferguson in his elegant discourse upon justification but neither can i say that this fully satisfies for one the imminent acts of god are all eternal nor are they distinct from god himself as our divines generally agree but this act of justification is at the time of believing and not before and has an effect without him it terminates on the sinner and makes a relative change two an imminent act answers not the end of justification nor comes it up to the scripture account of it which makes it terminate in conscience and free the sinner from any just impeachment or accusation upon the grounds whereon formerly he was impleaded and pursued third others there are who seem to conceive that this act of god's grace justifying a sinner consists in or rather is his powerful application or setting home the word of promise immediately upon the sinner's first believing on or accepting of the lord jesus for confirming this several things may be alleged not without some countenance from the word as one this act of god is unquestionably an act of grace two the word of promise is the channel or means whereby all the grace of the covenant of whatever sort is conveyed to us three it is not the bare letter of promise but it is the promise as used by the spirit of god to whom the application of saving blessings belong that doth effectuate this conveyance whether the grace or privilege be in its own nature real or a work of grace wrought in the soul of the sinner or only relative such as equipment and the change thereby made unquestionably is the meaning plainly and shortly is this the spirit of god by the promise of inherent grace produces inherent and real effects such as holy dispositions holy affections etc the same spirit by the promises of relative grace and the application of them to the soul effectuates a relative change or produces effects which merely to contradistinguish them from real and inherent i may call moral or relative such as acquitment from condemnation right to the favour of god and privileges of children for it is agreed among those who are found that at first believing there is a clear discovery of christ jesus as held forth in the word by the spirit of the lord whereby the soul convinced of sin is effectually determined to close with him as the only way of relief and this act of the soul is now generally thought to be the justifying act of faith five it must also be granted that at the same time or immediately upon the back of this there follows some discovery of the security and safety of the soul's eternal concerns in adherence to this way that there is some such apprehension is evident from this one thing the most discouraged soul from the first moment of believing at its worst condition cannot think of giving up with its interest in this way upon any terms this can never be accounted for otherwise than by supposing that amidst all its shakings there is some trust expectation or hope of salvation in this way six the ground of this hope trust or expectation certainly is the promise of god cleared or set home by the spirit of god at the soul's first closing with christ and this act of god setting home the promise to the believer as a ground of trust and which always does in some sort relieve 
as was noted above, I take to be the justifying act of God. If I should stop here, what has been said would appear too dark and perplexed, and would fail with many of giving a due understanding of the opinion, much less would it be able to satisfy the mind as to the truth of it, or answer objections. I shall therefore endeavour to give a clear and distinct account of what my thoughts are, which fall in for the main with this opinion which has been but obscurely proposed as being gathered from dark hints in writing and conversation. General observations laid down for clearing the way to the solution of this question. In order to a distinct conceiving of the matter, the ensuing observations would be carefully taken notice of. First, faith in the Lord Jesus has some special influence, be it of what kind it will, into our justification before God. The constant use of those expressions that we are justified by or through faith, while the like expressions are not used with respect to any other grace or duty in this matter, clearly evince what is asserted. Second, the subject of this justifying faith is a sinner cited to and assisted at the tribunal of God, convicted of guilt, destitute of any valid defence in himself, and who, in a word, has his mouth stopped before God. No other is capable immediately of this faith. Third, the object of this faith is the Lord Jesus Christ himself as the ordinance of God, in his work of mediation for the recovery and salvation of lost sinners, and as unto that end proposed in the promise of the gospel. He that would see this fully confirmed and explained may consult the judicious Dr. Owen, his treatise of justification, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Fourth, the acts of faith in reference to this object required of convinced sinners and comprised under the general name of believing in him are several. Firstly, there is an assent unto the truths concerning Christ, his nature, person, and offices, viz., that he is God manifested in the flesh, that he is the person whom God of his mercy to sinners made choice of and sent into the world to recover them, that he is the only mediator between God and sinners, who is able to save to the uttermost them that come to God through him, etc. The object of this assent is the revelation of these truths in the word of promise. Secondly, there is the receiving act of faith whereby we accept of or receive Christ, John 1.12, as to which we are to observe distinctly three things. First, this receiving of Christ not being capable of the natural or vulgar sense of the word, as applied to things external, which are received by the hand, etc., it is obvious it must be taken in a moral sense. And being taken thus, it points at two things, or two acts. One, it supposes an act of the mind or judgment approving of Christ as meet for the purpose for which he is proposed. Two, it formally and directly imports the wills consenting to, closing with, or being pleased with him as such, the mind seeing in him all that is to be desired, with respect to the case the sinner is now in, the will is pleased, closes with him, and is satisfied that he is such a one as the sinner wants. Secondly, if we consider this approbation more fully as applied in practice, it takes in several things as, one, a renunciation of all other means pretending any usefulness to the same end, and standing in opposition to or competition with Christ as thus proposed, Two, the souls judging that Christ and he alone is only and in all respects fitted and designed for that work, joined with a satisfaction of mind and well-pleasedness with him as such. Three, an acquiescence or rest of mind in this consent, so that the soul is come to a point that it has no other way to look, and that, if it has but him, it is safe. Thirdly, it is to be observed that the object of this act of approbation is properly the goodness, suitableness, and excellency of Christ, as the means of recovery of lost sinners. 
Now, this much for the second act of faith. Thirdly, there is in faith, or there follows upon the foregoing acts, another viz, that which is commonly called the fiducial act or trust, that is, the soul in expectation and confidence of relief by Christ throws itself upon him, and this may be conceived two ways, either, one, more generally, that the soul seeing, as above, the vanity of other ways and the safety of this, dare build no expectation anywhere else, but looks to this as the only door at which relief can come in or two more particularly for a confident trust of its salvation in particular this way that is through jesus christ if the former only be intended it differs not from that acquiescence above mentioned if the latter to wit a confidence or trust that we shall be relieved whether it is more faint or more vigorous it is indeed where the other two acts proceed a distinct act of faith as to this last act i shall only observe one thing which is that the ground of it is the promise or the engagement of the faithfulness of god for the salvation of believers and that as specially applied to god to this sinner and the application discerned by him this is of great moment to the clearing the point in hand and shall be afterwards further insisted upon fifth it is disputed which of these three acts above mentioned is the justifying act of faith that is the act whereon justification immediately and necessarily ensues and with respect to which we are in scripture said to be justified by faith the papists generally and some of our divines as camero particularly place it only in assent of this i shall only say it runs counter to the scripture accounts of this matter if it is not so explained as to make it really fall in with one or other of the opinions after mentioned but as to this our divines against the papists may be consulted others place it in the fiducial act and of these some in the fiducial act more generally understood as has been above noted and so in effect differs but in words from them who make the second act that which justifies others among whom were many of our first reformers seem at least to make the fiducial act strictly so called to be the justifying act of faith viz a confidence persuasion or belief that our sins are forgiven but as to this i shall only say it is obvious this can be no man's duty to believe so but upon supposition that he is antecedently justified by faith wherefore others do place it in the second act which dr owen describes thus it is the heart's approbation of the way of justification and salvation of sinners by jesus christ proposed in the gospel as proceeding from the grace wisdom and love of god with its acquiescency therein as to its own condition this acquiescency mentioned by the doctor is not an acquiescency as to its own interest or a persuasion of its salvation in particular but it is to be understood as explained above the confirmation and explanation of this may be found in the place above referred to and in the writings of our divines practical and polemical who generally embrace this opinion and with them i agree sixth as soon then as the soul by a discovery of christ jesus in the light of the lord conveyed to the soul in and by the gospel is brought to this approbation of him justification or the act of god acquitting him doth immediately ensue and as to this act the question is wherein it consists or by what means is it expressed how does god pronounce this sentence and for clearing this question upon the foregoing principles we observe further seventh that the fiducial act or the trust above mentioned in one degree or other necessarily accompanies at the same instant of time and follows immediately upon the foregoing acts of faith though as was above observed it is not the justifying act but consequent in order of nature thereto 
I do not mean that the believing soul has, always at first closing with Christ, such a steady and full persuasion that its sins are forgiven, that eventually it shall be saved, as that it dare boldly pronounce and speak out so much to others, or even resolutely assert it within itself, nor do I mean that it has such a clear view of its own graces that it can reflect, and conclude confidently from the sight of them, its election, justification, and certain salvation, to which two sorts of persuasion, the one built upon a reflection on our own graces, under the influences of the spirit of grace, enabling us to discern them and conclude from them our interest in Christ, the other bottomed upon a word of promise such as that, Be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven thee, powerfully set home by the Spirit of God. Most part do restrict, how justly I inquire not now, the notion of assurance. But that which I mean is, that the first saving manifestation of Christ to a convicted sinner, pursued by the law, conscience, and Satan, not only determines the soul to close with him, in the manner above mentioned, but thereon also immediately follows such an expectation, trust, and humble confidence, as engages the soul ever after to follow the Lord in a way of duty, without despairing as to the saving issue. Yea, not without secret hope, though this afterwards in times of temptation is variously clouded, that in due time it shall obtain a merciful issue." This persuasion and humble confidence is really particular as to the sinner himself and his own salvation, though through the humbling impressions he has of himself at the time, his own guilt, and the awe he has of God upon his spirit, he fears to express it directly and particularly of himself. For confirming of this, I shall only hint a few following things. 1. That which is set before the soul's eye at first believing, viz., a discovery in a supernatural light of the glory of the grace, mercy, and love of God to sinners in Christ Jesus, especially considering what the poor sinner's circumstances at present are, cannot possibly be supposed to have a less effect. 2. Whenever this discovery, without which believing is impossible, is given or made to the soul, it is impossible, but the soul must be some way relieved, for this is the very design of the discovery. Now this persuasion, as we have stated it, is the least that can be supposed in this matter, Without something of this, the soul is, in effect, as it was before. 3. The experience and confession of those who have distinctly observed what has passed in their soul at this time, and instances of the word confirm this. 4. When poor disquieted believers, through the power of temptation and confusion upon their minds, deny any such persuasion or confidence, yet by its effects it is evident to others that at any time they have it. Doth not their resolute adherence to duty, in spite of all discouragements, and their refusing to quit their claim, or try other ways suggested, plainly bewray some such secret persuasion? 5. To add no more, our gravest and most experienced divines, their placing the essence of faith in assurance, seems to say that they were generally persuaded, at least, that this was inseparable from justification. And if they mean no more, their opinion will, upon the strictest trial, be found unexceptionable. 8. This humble persuasion, trust, confidence, or expectation must be allowed in believers to be an act of faith and not a groundless presumption, and if so, it must have some solid foundation. 9. The ground of this fiducial act is certainly the word of promise whereby God engages to pardon and accept graciously sinners in Christ Jesus. This the Scriptures many ways clear. In the Gospel call there is a revelation of Christ to be assented to, an offer or proposal of Him as worthy of all acceptation to be accepted, a command requiring and warranting this acceptance, and finally a promise of mercy or salvation to the acceptor. This last is the ground of this fiducial trust. Psalm 119.74
tenth yet the word of promise absolutely considered is not of itself without the special application of it to the soul able or sufficient to draw forth this trust the promise must come not only in word but in power and in the holy ghost one thessalonians one god who commanded the light to shine out of darkness must shine into the soul and give that evidence of the faithfulness of his own engagement which only can prevail with the soul to lay stress upon it eleventh hence it appears evident that there is an act of god manifesting his faithfulness in the promise and clearly with power holding forth and applying his mercy promised for the relief of the sinner now looking to and approving of the lord jesus as the only way of acceptance to prevent any mistake about this when i say that god applies i do not mean that god speaks in the way of an absolute promise or assertion thy sins are forgiven thee whatever he may do upon some occasions but i intend that at the very same moment when the poor trembling convinced sinner is by a clear manifestation of the mediator prevailed to give up with all other ways of relief and turn his eye toward him as alone worthy of acceptation and who only can be available to poor sinners in this case there is i say at that very instant though in order of nature consequent one a shining discovery of mercy of which the sinner had no sight before in that way two this mercy is particularly held forth to the poor sinner for his relief it is set in his eye as suitable to his present case three the promise and engagement of god is enforced upon the soul thou shalt be saved that is saving mercy is presently tendered to the poor trembling sinner now though the sinner not yet recovered out of the fright which the discovery of his misery immediately before cast him into dare not always presently go into particular and applicative conclusions yet this gracious intimation begets somewhat of a humble confidence and breaks for the time at least the force of the oppressing and confounding charge he till then lay under twelfth now this act of god above described may i conceive be called and justly thought to be his justifying act or act of acquitment to clear this a little observe the ensuing particulars one the close connection of these things as to time all being at the same instant occasions unavoidably some difficulty in the conception observation and expression of the several distinct acts either of god or of our own minds and this difficulty is heightened by the fright the sinner is in before the gospel manifestation and the surprisingness of the manifestation itself yet too it is clear and agreed amongst sound divines as for others we concern not ourselves now with them that there are such distinct actings of faith at first that each of them has its proper foundation and finally that the saving manifestation of god's mercy in the promise through jesus christ is that which gives ground for these several actings three it is upon the grounds given evident that there is such an act of god holding forth mercy and favour in and by the promise to the soul while it is fixing its eye upon the lord jesus in the way above mentioned i need not stand to confirm this further there is not nor can be any ground sufficient to produce or support the trust above mentioned if this is denied for that this is an act of acquittal appears thus one the sinner now is at the tribunal of god ready to sink under the weight of a heavy charge and beat from all his pleas two the gospel discovery seasonably at that very instant proposing the lord jesus to view the soul's eye is turned wholly there three while he looks here only for relief god irradiates the soul with a sweet manifestation of his mercy through jesus christ to sinners in the promise four this discovery made at this instant to the sinner whose cause is now depending and who is as it were impanelled imports no less than an intimation of the judge's mind as to the case depending an acquitment from the charge in opposition unto condemnation 
or a discovery and application of wrath and the curse of the sinner's conscience which in their circumstances would quite overwhelm five this act is sufficient to all the ends and purposes of an act of justification for first it repels the force of the charge and in experience it is found that this discovery always at the season of it though it cures not all the accidental consequences of the sinner's former case presently yet it frees the soul from that confounding dread and despondency he was formerly under secondly it endears and lays an everlasting obligation of kindness unto god the sense whereof never goes entirely off the sinner's mind though some occurrences that sometimes may weaken it thirdly the sinner from this time forward has if not at all times to his own discerning yet really and oft times to the discerning of others a liberty of spirit from that dispiriting dread of god he was under before and somewhat if i may not say of confidence yet of kindly freedom in his dealings with god fourthly this act of god not only gives right to freedom from all righteous pursuit of that charge that was but now managed in the sinner's conscience against him which i confess ipso jure results at the instant of believing from the promise but moreover it declaratively and in a juridical way applies this right and gives the sinner a ground whereupon he justly may and should claim insist upon and make use of against all attempts of any who shall endeavour to revive the old process fifthly after this none by warrant or authority from god and in his name may or can righteously insist against the sinner for his life sixthly when satan the malicious accuser through the permission of god for wise ends litigiously weakens the pursuit and importunately vexes the sinner there needs no new or different sentence to silence and repel him if god vouchsafe of his mercy to revive the first discovery which is like an extract of the first sentence the soul is instantly quieted and the enemy confounded finally immediately upon the back of this god carries it towards the soul as a reconciled god and this at first for most part discernibly or if it is not discerned this flows rather from the sinner's weakness than from want of evidence in a word upon this discovery the judge appears divested as it were of his terrible majesty the frowns are no more seen in his face but a pleasantness joined still with such majesty as commands at once kindly thoughts and respect the panel is no more imprisoned and hampered with the fearful expectation of wrath and fiery indignation as before the pursuers either entirely withdraw and disappear or if the litigious adversary persist what satan or a misinformed conscience does now is only like the malicious reclaimings occasioned by the disappointment they have met with from the judge and to add no more the poor man immediately upon the back of this with some pleasant freedom goes his way and falls to his work whether might not god justly have required that act of faith of every one of these sons of men whereon now by a gracious promise he has voluntarily obliged himself to justify sinners although he had made no such promise if he had by a simple doctrinal revelation universally revealed christ jesus and the way of salvation by him without promising to justify one or other or fixing any terms but reserved these wholly to his own mind had not every sinner been obliged to assent to the revelation and in judgment approve this as the only expedient suitable to their case and renouncing all other ways to turn their eyes to this reckoning thus with themselves all our contrivances are vain here here is the only suitable expedient whether god will ever vouchsafe to save me i cannot tell he has kept that to himself but if ever i am saved this is the way and therefore i will look here and let him do with me what pleases him justly may he set me aside yet if i go elsewhere it is in vain assuredly here is a safe way and who can tell but he may be gracious 
this i think has the acting of that faith that is justifying or it is that acting of faith that it is so end of an inquiry into the nature of god's act of justification by thomas halliburton